that was the opening. I'm not sure you could call it music, but it, it was the opening. The opening sounds to Fantastic Voyage, uh, which was released in 1966 from our favorite studio, it seems like, 20th Century Fox. I'm Matt Johnson coming to you from rainy Seattle today. And I'm Bob Johnson from calling in from Los Angeles. What we were we were going for here was kind of a B-movie, and I think it's probably a little bit better than a B-movie. I think it was a, maybe, I think you said a B-plus movie last time. I think so, yeah. Compared to some of the B-movies that you and I have seen over the years, this would be above that, wouldn't it? Yeah, and it, it kind of felt like two separate movies to me. There was the part of the movie where they were outside of the scientist's body, and then there was the part of the movie where they were inside of his body. And I I liked the part where they were inside of the body a lot more. I found that to be more entertaining. Um, it seemed like there were a lot of weird things happening outside of the body. <laughs> there was a group. There were a group of people there that were uh, outside the body that were, I would say, a little bit hyper. Yeah, I mean, it starts off with uh, a lot of action with a plane landing and, and this big caravan of police and secret service, I guess, or some kind of some kind of law enforcement agency. We don't know what at first. And they are rushing somewhere through the, the city at night, and then they get ambushed and shot up, and the person that they're protecting gets shot. And my first thought at that point was, who are these bozos? They they've got like fifty police, and they can't they can't secure the route that they're going to go from the airport to the wherever they're headed. I know they came from the airport, and they were going down the street that looked like it was from nowhere land. Yeah, and, and there's these guys up in a window just shooting at them, and perfect shot right into the car where. And I thought, wouldn't that car be bulletproof too? So there was some. I had some issues right at the beginning of the movie with the setup. I. Uh... I enjoyed the the cast of uh, Stephen Boyd, Raquel Welsh, Edmund O'Brien. <clears throat> Edmund O'Brien is a real favorite of mine uh, for a long period of time. And Arthur Kennedy, who turned out to be quite the philosophical doctor scientist during the uh, film. Yet all the suns that light the corridors of the universe shine dim before the blazing of a single thought. And I, I like Donald Pleasance, too. He he just has that... You knew he was a bad guy right from the get-go, I think. He's <laughs> he's kind of typecast that way. This was, a, this was during the time when he was in uh, James Bond movies. He was a bad guy in those. I think he played the same part. Pretty much. Then they get to the... What was the name of the agency that they were... Oh, I love this. I wrote it down so I wouldn't get it wrong. The Combined Miniature Deterrent Force, or <laughs> CMDF. That was that was really. I liked that a lot. That was great. Uh, and they had a little. They had a little badge. Everybody wore a little badge with that on it. And I think their headquarters were in like uh, either a parking garage or what'd you say a, a sports arena? I think it was filmed inside of a, a sports basketball arena somewhere here in Los Angeles made to look like their headquarters because it just looked too much like the concourse at the old key arena yeah. in Seattle. 
And, and rather than just go <clears throat> up an elevator to where the floor they need to go, they're driving around on these little electric carts. And it was it was like it felt like five minutes of them driving up and down these ramps and. And then they drove right into the room that they were going to be at. I know. <laughs> I think they. I think they had these carts for the movie uh, Westworld with Yul Brenner, and they used the same approach. They were driving people all over in these electric carts endlessly. Yeah. And then we uh, we get to the part where we find out what what they're going to be doing. And Benish's brain, as near as we can map it stereotactically, the clot is right here. It's impossible to get at without damage to the intervening tissue, which would prove fatal to Benish. The only way to reach it is via the arterial system. Phase one calls for miniaturizing a submarine with crew and surgical team and injecting it into the carotid artery. How small will it be? About the size of a microbe. We're putting Benish in deep hypothermia. What? That's freezing him as low as is compatible with human life. It'll slow down his heartbeat, his circulation, and all other physical processes. Well, even so, Colonel, because of our size, uh, well, I mean, the lack of it, we'll still be cruising pretty fast. We'll be smashed to bits if there's any turbulence. The only danger of uh, turbulence is in the heart, and we're not going through it. Once in the carotid artery, we remain within the arterial system until we reach the point of the damage, where Dr. Duval will attempt to dissolve the clot with a laser beam. We find out that it, they only have an hour in order to get injected into this body, get to the brain, do whatever they need to do in the brain to save this guy, and then get back out. And I thought, wow, that no pressure. <laughs> I, I enjoyed that whole thing and, I, and the subplot of the Cold War aspect of it too because the other side was out to get the uh, to, to, to do the scientist in before he could be uh, saved because he had the ultimate secret as to how they could stay miniaturized for more than 60 minutes and what I liked about <laughs> it too is they're, when they're explaining how this whole thing works, they, they went into like zero detail of, of anything scientific. It, and they did, <laughs> they, yeah. did, they did the whole thing with like these flip charts or not like these uh, acetate sheets that they would put up on an overhead projector. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, it was the overhead projector that from 19, right out of 1966. And I felt like they made no effort to try to project what the technology would be in the future. It was sort of like, this is now, you know, we have this technology now and, and we don't have anything too fancy in, in the way of computers or projection equipment, but boy, we figured out how to miniaturize things, you know? I know, I know. Did, were you struck by the technology too? They, they showed that overhead projector and then they had this huge, gigantic computer room and then they, they're in contact with the miniaturized people in the submarine with a telegraph. Yes, that, that was awesome. It was like uh, beep, 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 beep. <laughs> and everybody outside of the of the miniaturized people were smoking cigars, cigarettes. I mean, geez. The first thing they did, the first thing the general or whatever his rank was did when they sat down to do the briefing was pull out a cigar and light up. 
Man, man. I love the I love the uh, scene where Edmund O'Brien is using too much sugar in his coffee. And he says, with only 42 minutes left. Well, it'll be close, but there's still a margin of safety. Let's find out what the devil's holding him up. Contact the Proteus. Must be some kind of mechanical difficulty. I thought I told you to cut down on the sugar. Huh? Oh, I can't help it. Just weak, I guess. <laughs> and I immediately thought of Lloyd Bridges in Airplane, where he says, Man, I picked a bad week to stop smoking. That line is right out of this movie. <laughs> yeah. Except cigarettes instead of sugar. Yeah. What a fun, what a, I enjoyed it though. It was, it was kind of hokey and, and all, but I don't know. I just, I kind of got into it. There were the, there were, once they got miniaturized and they were in the syringe, it felt like they were in a, uh, a ride at Disneyland. You know, it's, it was like they were in that sub <laughs> submarine ride at Disneyland because there were bubbles going yeah, right. by the window. <laughs> oh, I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. Yeah, and then, uh, and then when they actually did get injected and they're going into the bloodstream, it looked like they were surrounded by giant bubbles. You know, like they, <laughs> that was their their technology for making that look like blood were, were giant soap bubbles. <laughs> I think they spent a lot of money making this just to put all that together, even though it comes off now as kind of uh, old school in terms of the of the. Uh, uh, special effects. Some some of them were kind of cheesy, but some of them are pretty great. Like when they were in the lungs, I thought that whole uh, yes was, was really cool. And they were talking about how they needed to. They were running out of air because they uh, I forget they their engines overheated or something, or they they the valve jammed for the for replenishing their air supply. But they had to puncture into the lungs and get and get air from the lungs and lots of bad things happen and they almost lose one of their crew members. But yeah, that was pretty cool. The special the, effects. Uh, a lot of the movie reminded me of a movie from 1971, The Andromeda Strain, which I think is a better movie than this one, but it had some of that same flavor to it. They were they're racing against the clock and they had all these people to try to save and the end of the world could happen and, I just I, I made that connection when I was watching it. Yeah, the 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 tension was really put into place by having that clock count down for an hour. And at one point they lose their radio contact with the outside and so they have to hope that the scientists on the outside of the body are smart enough to know what they're going to be doing next. So that kind of added another level of tension. I was struck by the fact when they were first injected into the scientists, the doctors are all masked and gloved and wrapped up. But the nurse, no mask, no gloves, puts the syringe on the end of the, uh, uh, the, uh, the needle on the end of the syringe without any uh, safety precautions for disease or germs or whatever. And boy, they should have worked that one through again. Yeah, I noticed that too. It's funny that you mentioned that because uh... – I thought they went through all this elaborate process of using these robotic robotic arms to put the syringe together, and then at the very last step, the nurse just picks it up and walks off with it without any gloves or mask. <laughs> Here you go. Uh, but I guess that's part of the charm of it. It's it's uh, good special effects, bad special effects, and a fairly decent story, I think.
Yeah, it was uh, one thing I noticed too is that Raquel Welch didn't really have a speaking line until they were a good ten minutes into having her character introduced. And I thought that was kind of strange that she didn't say anything. She was just kind of there to look pretty. And they made quite a few remarks about her being a woman. Miss Peterson volunteered to come along. So did every male technician in this unit. A woman has no place on a mission at this time. I insist on taking my technician. You'll take along who I assign. Don't tell me who I'm going to work with, not on this operation or any other. I'll do what I think is best without any interference from anyone. has relied on Miss Peterson for years, and since she wants to come along, I think it's for the best, Dr. Reed. Well, I disagree with you. Since you're in charge, go ahead and do as you please. Well, I want to go on record as being against it. Oh, yes, And indeed. I thought, boy, that's just right out of the era, you know? <laughs> you know, if if I didn't, if I hadn't known that she was in the film, I'm not sure I would have recognized her. This must, this may have been her first movie. I don't know. I, I didn't recognize her at first either. I mean, I knew it was her, but she looked different. The, uh, the director of this, Richard Fleischer, made what I consider one of the really good film noir movies called The Narrow Margin from 1952 with Charles McGraw. And I didn't realize he had done that. And then he also directed that uh, Pearl Harbor movie, Tora, Tora, Tora. And he had, he had quite a varied career. And uh, I, I think he was probably brought on for this one because he could do those... Uh, special effects things, because he also did Soylent Green with Charlton Heston. I guess he's maybe one level down from our favorites, John Ford, Mel Brooks, and so forth. Yeah, maybe that uh, narrow margin would be one to, to watch in the future. Have you seen that one, the original? I don't think so. It's a really excellent, probably hour and a half movie. Uh, well done. Very believable. Uh, another thing that I found funny was when they were in the lungs and one of the crew members, I don't think it was the scientist. It might've been Grant, the character played by Stephen Boyd uh, made a comment about what are those black rocks in the lungs? And I think it was uh, Dr. Michaels, which was played by Donald Pleasance says that the it's full of rocks. Those are impurities embedded in the lung carbon from smoke and specks of dust well we better get on with it careful right the way the lungs get black from smoking and here they are inside the lungs looking at the crystals that form (laughs) i thought that was kind of uh almost a comment on smoking but at the same time pretty much all the people were smoking in the movie it seemed like yeah all the ones outside I'd love to work in a room with a guy that was smoking a cigar all the time. Holy smokes. Pass out. Uh, I wondered, I don't know if you wondered this, but when I watched the special effects, I was thinking, how'd they do all those things floating by? That must have been miniaturized in some kind of a tank, all those bubbles that went floating by and the debris. I think it was an early version of like the green screen, because if you watch it, you can see that oh. there's an outline. There's a thin outline around the characters and around the, the ship. And and so I think what they did was they had one plate that had the characters and the ship, which was a, on the set. 
and then they had another plate which were the backgrounds with the inside the body and you know things going by outside the window and it was a pretty early version of that so it wasn't perfect but i thought for the time it was it was pretty darn good and pretty convincing yeah i didn't even pick that up but i guess now that i think back on it that's about the time that the special effects were beginning to be more uh modernized or or brought into the uh technical era with computers hopefully not those computers that were in that big computer room i couldn't believe that my goodness yeah i don't think there were any computers involved and in, i think it was all like physical film oh, okay. and, and uh you know chemical techniques for developing the film and compositing it but um was it when did 2001 come out it was it was around this time wasn't it uh let's see 1968 so it was a couple yeah, years after like, this. So, I mean, they were getting to a place in the late 60s where they could do some pretty good special effects if, if they had the right people involved and, and took the time. And I think this movie had a fairly good-sized budget for those it special did. effects. I've got that figure here somewhere, but I, I, I'm going to go by memory. I think the budget for it was $5 million, which in 1966 was a huge amount. And it made a lot of money. So a lot of people went to see it. That's for sure. There's a there was a movie that came out in the eighties called Inner Space. Do you remember that movie? I do. Uh, Dennis Quaid. Yeah, it's 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 kind of the similar story where they they get miniaturized and injected into somebody, and then they've got only a certain amount of time to get out. But oh, that's that was right. I had forgotten that. Much more of a comedic uh, approach to the to the movie. And the special effects were much better too. Yeah, the special effects were a lot better. I enjoyed it, but it's just slightly above average using our 10-point scale. Uh, I gave it a 6 on a scale of 10 for an overall rating. Yeah, I think based on what we talked about last time and how we're looking at that scale, and I gave a 7 to Blazing Saddles, I don't think it's quite as good as Blazing Saddles. Uh, but it's better than the average, so yeah, probably a 6. I think that parts of the movie Inside the Body were more like an 8 for me. And the parts of the movie outside the body might have been more like a four or five. <laughs> so, That's a good way to look at it. It was a yeah. little bit of a mixed bag for me. And there were a lot of continuity and, and uh, odd issues with the film in terms of the setup. And we talked about a couple of those, which, which kind of bugged me. But there were less of that inside the body. The stuff inside the body made, if it, if it could, kind of made more sense, uh, logically within the film anyway. I made a note here that left me feeling this way when the movie ended, and it was a question. Did the scientist live, and was he able to give them the answer to the 60-minute time? <laughs> they never showed it. They, they, they celebrated the fact that they escaped, but they never showed the scientist. That's the closest they came uh, was when the doctors from that room came around the corner like, Maybe they were going to tell everybody that he had lived, but it left me in a quandary. I still don't know. Apparently, he didn't live because I don't think they're miniaturizing people now. But yeah. who knows? But it's a secret covert <laughs> government project. Who knows? <laughs> right. We'll never know. Uh, All right. Well, that's uh, that's it for this this time. And we never did decide what we're going to. 
We talked about a couple of options. One was Gentleman's Agreement, excellent movie with Gregory Peck and John Garfield. Why don't we do that one? Okay. Gentleman's Agreement from, I think, 1948 or 49. I can't quite remember, but uh, it's a film about anti-Semitism, and it's a very powerful black and white and well done. All right, so that's going to be a more involved kind of heavy subject we might spend more time on that one this movie yeah it's good i'd watch it but it's not like great <laughs> so anyway uh i'm matt johnson thanks for listening to classic movie reviews and i'm bob johnson and we'll see you next time 